والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ونبينا وحبيب قلوبنا وطبيب نفوسنا وشفيع ذنوبنا أبي القاسم محمد والسلام على آل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المذلومين ولعنة الله على أعدائهم أجمعين من يوم عداوتهم إلى يوم الدين أما بعد فقد قال الله تبارك وتعالى في كتابه وهو أصدق القائلين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم جزاؤهم عند ربهم جنات عدن تجري من تحتها الأنهار خالدين فيها أبدا رضي الله عنهم ورضوا عنه ذلك لمن خشي ربا صلى الله عليه محمد وعلى the verse of uh, the Quran that I have had the sharaf and honor of reciting before you is from Surah Al-Bayyina chapter 98 of the Quran verse 7 in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the righteous and the faithful on the day of judgment Jazauhum and the Rabbihim their reward lies with their Lord Jannatin Adn they shall enter the gardens of Adn Tajri min tahtihal anhar beneath which rivers flow Khalidina fiha abada and they shall remain in this abode, in this final abode or garden forever, for all eternity, never ending. Radiallahu anhum. Allah is pleased with them. Waradu anhu. And they are pleased with Allah. Dhalika liman khashya rabbah. And this is the reward of one who fears or stands in awe of his Lord. <coughs> the verse is very inspiring. But there is a part to this verse that needs to be um, looked at more closely and reflected upon. <laughs> Allah is pleased with them. Radiallahu anhum. This we understand. Waradu anhu. And they are pleased with Allah. This is the part that needs reflection. In Islam, when we speak of contentment, we use a term called ar-rida. To be pleased with whatever Allah has decreed for you. This is one of the titles of our Imams as well. Our eighth Imam is known as Ali ibn Musa al-Rida. Salawatullahi wa salam And in the coming days we will be marking his shahadat as well. A lot of times when we want to elevate ourselves spiritually a simple way to do this is to look at these titles for the different imams and say how do i become more sadiq how do i become more al-jawad <clears throat> how do i become more one who is kadhimul ghaid and in this manner how do i become one who is radi with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what is strange and as i said requires some reflection is the fact that we would generally assume that those who have faith are pleased with Allah. We don't know if Allah is pleased with us, but we would assume that we are pleased with Allah. What then does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mean when He says, 
radiyallahu anhum allah is pleased with them wa radu anhu and they are pleased with allah what it means is that every time i question the quality of my life every time i am displeased with something in my life that i cannot change that i have no control over that allah has decreed for me such as my health or such as the health of my loved one or such as my social status or such as my financial status despite all my trying and all my efforts allah has decreed a certain level for me when i am displeased with that because that is something that i have no control over and only allah has control over it that means without me saying it i am displeased with allah i am questioning that why o oh allah do i have to endure this suffering or this trial or this calamity in life that others do not have to endure so i can control whether i go out to earn a living or not i can control how hard i'm going to work but i cannot guarantee how much i'm going to earn that day or what kind of a job i will gain i can exercise i can eat healthy i can look after myself but i cannot guarantee that i will not fall sick or that i will not be able to maintain the quality of health and life that i wish to maintain or how long i will live i can look after my child i can protect my child but i cannot guarantee that my child will not die in my lifetime and every time a calamity befalls me or something unfortunate happens or in a relationship there is a misunderstanding or unpleasantness whether it be with my spouse or whether it be with my parents or whether it be with my siblings there is this question why am i in the situation i am in there is a sense of dissatisfaction there is a sense of if i was free of these relationships or if i was not in the circumstances that i am in if i was free to do as i please i would have been happier i would have accomplished more in life no you would not have accomplished more in life you are exactly where you need to be right now provided you are trying your best in working towards the akhirah if your focus is on akhirah if your focus is on allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you are exactly where you need to be right now to learn and to better yourself the problem is that sense of dissatisfaction that constant complaining that constant unhappiness why me or why this or why that and this is tied to that issue of rada of learning to be grateful for what you have and being contented with where you are in your life at this point in time i should go aside for a moment and mention a point related to this because someone asked me very um recently in an email a question to say what is the purpose of life why could allah not have created us in jannah perfect human beings he and and the questioner said i understand that the purpose of this life is to learn and the purpose of this life is to go through trials so that it is a means of improving ourselves but why why couldn't allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have created me in happiness directly in jannah with all these qualities now there is a lengthy answer to this and there is an explanation to this but the part from it that i wish to mention is that because we are driven by material comfort and we live in a materialistic society we very quickly forget that we are souls and spirits encapsulated in a physical body we constantly forget that and imagine we are physical beings and so we question why we suffer in fact part of the question was 
what is the purpose of something that appears to be meaningless suffering? As an example, a lady carries a child for six months, seven months, eight months, and then has a miscarriage. The question is, if Allah did not want to create this child, then what was the purpose of her conceiving first and carrying that child with so much hopes and so much expectations and so much dreams and desires of what the child will be and how she will name the child and raise the child and then to lose that child. What was the purpose of that? Or a child is born and then the child dies at the age of two or three or four or five, an unfulfilled life. It begs the question, if Allah did not intend for that soul to live in this world, then why create it in the first place? These questions are tied because we look at things from a physical perspective only. We look at things in terms of the body and say life, living, child, coming to this world, living. What we don't see is the opportunity to develop the spirit because of those physical experiences. If you turn around that question and come to this realization that the dunya was never meant to be a place to live and enjoy, that dunya is a place of transit, that you are created for akhirah, that your abode is Jannah, that the purpose of this life is only to train and nurture the soul, then none of these questions become meaningful anymore. Why? Because now every physical experience is not meant for a physical reason. Every physical experience is meant to teach something spiritual. It is meant to teach us, for example, to become more patient. It is meant to teach us, for example, to be more content and more radi with Allah. It is meant to teach us to surrender to a higher degree. So that physical experience, that child who was carried for nine months and then miscarried, was not meaningless and purposeless. Its purpose was to teach the mother the meaning of patience and surrender to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was a test, but it was also a nurturing of the soul. Let's turn this question around another way. A child's physical body forms in its completeness in the womb of its mother. Its fingers are formed in the womb, but it doesn't need the fingers in the womb. Its eyes are formed in the womb, but it doesn't need the eyes in the womb. Its tongue and its stomach and its intestines are formed in the womb, but it doesn't need it in the womb. Its lungs are formed in the womb, but it doesn't need it in those nine months that it lives in the womb. When does it need it? It needs it when it comes out of the mother's womb into this world. Now, supposing this child did not develop fully while it was in the womb of the mother. Supposing this child's fingers were not formed, or supposing this child's lungs were not formed, or supposing, well, iyadu billah, this child's eyes were not formed. For the duration that it lives in the womb for nine months, it will not see any problem. It will not cause it any difficulty. It will not cause it any harm because it doesn't need these faculties while it is in the womb. When it comes into this world and realizes that it now has some deficiencies, that it now has some disabilities, that it now has some limitations, then those disabilities, those faculties that failed to form in the womb become a disadvantage when it comes to this world. In that exact same manner, when we are in this world and we fail to develop our souls, when we fail to develop courage, when we fail to develop surrender to Allah, when we fail to develop patience, when we fail to develop generosity, when we fail to develop humility, we don't see the problem with that. 
we forget that if the womb was nine months, this is not more than 90 years. This is also a womb. In this world, you are a physical body. Your body is the womb and it is pregnant with a soul. Death is nothing but the giving birth of the soul into the real world and the final world. Now, if in this world we fail to complete our souls, if in this world we fail to develop that soul to its perfection, we will not see a problem in these 90 years while we are in this world. We will not see a problem that we are not patient, or we are not courageous, or we have not surrendered to Allah. We will not see a problem that we are addicted to this and that, and that we are driven by our physical desires. Where will we feel this problem and this limitation and this disability? In the next world. When we come to the next world and Allah says, now go into Jannah, we will not be able to enter Jannah because we lack those qualities that are required for one who has to live in Jannah. And therefore, just as the womb is only a temporary place where the main focus is to complete the development of the fetus so that it can live a healthy life in this world, the purpose of this life is not to eat and drink and sleep and enjoy and indulge in distractions and enjoy materialism. The purpose of this life is to let the soul develop to its completion. So anything that teaches the soul and helps it develop is good for the soul, even if at a physical level it appears to be meaningless. So now every question we ask, why do young children die of cancer? Why was there an earthquake? Why was there a volcano? Why is there famine? Why is there drought? Why is there this and why is there that? You are looking at all this at a physical level. Why is there old age? Why is there suffering? Why is there conflict in relationships? These are all circumstantial, these are all physical, but these are all opportunities. Opportunities for what? Opportunities to help the soul develop to completion so that it is ready for Jannah. And a big part of all this is Rada, is to learn to be grateful to Allah, to be content with what we have, because this is the door that opens towards taslim, towards submission, towards surrender to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, towards that highest rank to which Ibrahim alayhi salam reached, towards which the teachers were Muhammad and Ali Muhammad alayhi mu'afdalu salatu wa salam. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Now I share with you a few ahadith from these teachers. On rida, and look at the perspective of the Prophet and his family on the issue of Rada. Many of these are actually from our second Imam. We have one hadith from Imam Hassan al-Mujtaba salawatullahi wa salamu He says, if a person believes in Allah and a person believes that whatever Allah does for him is good for him, then it is impossible for such a person to be displeased with what Allah has given him. And then he asks a question. He says, do you not believe that Allah has a choice in what he does? There are things that you can control in your life, but there are things that you have no control over. As I said, you can control your career, you can control your job, but you cannot guarantee how much you're going to earn. You can work for a good health, but you cannot control how you will live. The question is, can Allah control that? Does Allah have a say on that? If I am displeased with something, but I believe that there is a God, and I believe He is wise and just, and I believe He is always watching over me and is aware of my circumstance, and I still am unhappy with my situation and my circumstance, what does that mean about my belief in Allah? It means that I either believe that Allah is majboor, that He has no ikhtiyar, 
that he has no choice, that he would love to help me, but he cannot help me. Or I believe, na'udhu billah, that Allah is a zalim, that he takes pleasure in causing me suffering. But if I believe that he is loving, he is compassionate, and he has ikhtiyar, that for him everything is kun fayakun, then I would naturally come to this conclusion, that I need not be unhappy about my circumstance, that I need not be dissatisfied and discontent with the situation that I am in. The moment I am displeased with it, it explains that. And in this line as well, Imam Hassan salam says, he says, كَيْفَ يَكُونُ مُؤْمِنٌ مُؤْمِنًا وَهُوَ سَاخِطٌ بِكِسْمِهِ How does a mu'min become a mu'min when he is so displeased with what Allah has given him as his share in life? Everything is just the way it is. Your ethnicity, your culture, the family you were born in, the kind of parents you have, the countries you have migrated to, your social status, your financial status, your level of IQ, your intelligence, your emotional intelligence, the spouse and children you have or you don't have, everything is to help your soul reach its completion. If it was slightly changed and different, if Allah has not given you a disability, it is because if He had given you a disability, you would not have succeeded. If Allah has given you a disability, it is because you need that to succeed in the Akhirah. If Allah has placed you in a certain path in life, it is because that is exactly what you need. The issue is to learn to surrender and to accept it. كَيْفَ يَكُونُ مُؤْمِنٌ مُؤْمِنًا The Imam asks, وَهُوَ سَاخِطٌ بِقِسْمِهِ When you are so displeased and upset and angry at what Allah has decreed for you, how then do you claim to Iman? Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq sallallahu wa sallamu alayhi wa he says, Ra'asu, Ra'asu Ta'atillah, the fountainhead, the foundation, the most important thing with obedience to Allah is Ar-Rida Fi Ma Yuhib Wa Ma Yabghud, is to be pleased and content with whatever Allah loves for you, whatever Allah is pleased with. Your pleasure and displeasure should come from this surrender that whatever Allah is pleased with that is what I am pleased with I want to show you that this level of rada is not easy it is not a matter of me speaking about it you listening to it and we go home and say from today onwards I'm going to be radi with whatever Allah has decreed for me look at how Imam Zainul Abideen salawatullahi wa salamu how he describes it he says a'ala darajatul zuhud adna darajatul wara the highest level of zuhud of asceticism of forsaking this world is the lowest level of wara of piety of being god weary that lowest level it starts when zuhud reaches its maximum wa a'ala darajatul wara adna darajatul yaqeen and wara when it reaches its climax when it reaches its peak then yaqeen has just begun. It is the starting point of yaqeen. It is the lowest level of yaqeen. وَأَعْلَى دَرَجَةُ الْيَقِينَ أَدْنَى دَرَجَةُ الرِّضَى And when yaqeen has reached its climax, when yaqeen has reached its maximum, when you have reached the highest levels of yaqeen, that is when you have entered now the field of rida. That is when you have learned the meaning of 
This is that same Surah Al-Bayyina that those who shall enter Jannah and live in there forever anhum, Allah is pleased with them anhum, and they are pleased with him. What does this tell us? Why is Rada such a high level? What it tells us is that it is one thing to do sabr during suffering and affliction. It is another thing to be Radi during affliction. These are two very different things. Allah tries me with a problem in life. Allah tries me with a calamity in life. I don't complain, but I do sabr, meaning I try to resist it. Not that I try to remove that. Yes, we should try and remove that because in that as well there is a learning and there is a test. But I am unhappy with it, but I bear patience. I don't complain. That is sabr. But there is a higher level where not only do I bear patience, but I am actually pleased with it. That this is exactly what I need at this point. That I use it as a point of surrender to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we note from this that even after I have borne patience, there is a higher level to aspire to, which is the path of um, surrender. If you think about this for a moment, living in this world is not important to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We said this is only a place of training, a place of development of the soul. And that akhirah is of more importance to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If Allah only wanted us to be happy, which is really what He wants, then as I mentioned earlier, the easiest thing for Him to do us right now was to give us death. The moment any affliction or suffering comes our way, if He takes our souls away, then we go to Jannah. But He allows us to stay in this suffering. He allows us to endure it for a while. Why? Because there is something to be learned. There is a point at which we are still at the level of sabr, at the level of wara, at the level of zuhud, at the level of yaqeen. But we have not yet gotten to the level of rada. There is a beautiful point of reflection in a hadith from Amirul Mu'mineen Ali ibn Abi Talib, salawatullahi wa salamu He says, How strange is insan? How strange is this human being? He gets so excited and so happy when he acquires something that was not going to escape him, that Allah had already decreed for him. And he gets so upset, he gets so depressed, he gets so despondent, he laments and complains so much when he loses something that was never meant to be his share. How strange is insan? What is Amir al-Mu'mineen pointing to? He is pointing to the same thing, that Allah has set certain things for you in life that you will only acquire when you struggle for them. Because people ask this question, that if Allah has decreed everything for me, then why should I try? Why should I go to work? Why should I make any effort? I can sit home and whatever Allah has decreed for me as my risk will come to me. No, the reason you have to go out and earn is because some of your risk Allah has placed for you on the condition that you go looking for it. If you don't go looking for it, it will not come to you. Some people ask, well, if that is the case, then what is the point of dua? I can simply work for that risk. Why should I ask Allah and pray for him? The reason is because some of your risk also Allah has kept for you on the condition that you ask for it. That if the dua is not there, it will not come to you. It hovers over you. It is waiting for you to ask. When you ask, then it comes to you.
As long as you don't ask, it will not come to you. As in the example of Zakariya Allah had decreed for Zakariya that he will have a son in his old age. But Zakariya never asked for it. When he never had a child until he grew old, he gave up on that hope of a child. But when he saw Maryam with food in front of her that was out of season, that was in a room that was locked from which she was not able to get out, and he asked her, Ya Maryam, Anna laki hadha, Anna laki hadha, O Maryam, where are you getting this food from? Where does this platter of fruits come to you that are out of season from a place that is unknown? She said, It is from Allah. Inna Allah yarzuku man yasha'u bi ghayri hisab. O Zakariya, do you not know that Allah gives risk to whoever he wants without hisab? It was at that point that Zakariya realized, the reason I don't have a child is I never asked Allah. Hunalika da'a Zakariya rabbahu. Then Zakariya raised his hand and said, O Allah, give me a child as well. Yarithuni wa yarithu min Ali Yaqub. And Allah gave him that child. So everything is set in place just the way it is. Some of what is decreed for you will come to you when you work for it. Some of it will come to you when you ask for it. Some of it will not come to you even when you ask for it because it is not good for you in this world. But you will still be answered in the prayer and rewarded for it in the hereafter. There is one final hadith I want to share. But before I share that, I want to share something that many of you have probably heard of in the last few days and that you can go back and look at yourself. The Globe and Mail newspaper published an article just two days ago. The article was called, How Complaining Rewires Your Brain for Negativity. Okay, some of you may have already seen this. If you haven't, go home and just Google this. Globe and Mail, How Complaining Rewires Your Brain for Negativity. It's a very fascinating article and I have it here with me. And I don't, of course, want to read the whole article. But what they're saying, this is just two days ago that research has shown that just like smoking is addictive and a habit and food is addictive and a habit and internet is addictive and a habit complaining is also an addiction when you make it a habit you become addicted to complaining and when you make a habit of complaining and most people who complain they typically complain once every minute in a conversation when you complain constantly about something or the other, the weather, your health, someone else, this problem, that problem, it rewires your brain. Why does it rewire your brain? It says the brain, human brain loves efficiency and it doesn't like to work harder than necessary. So just like if you constantly wanted to cross a bridge, it wouldn't make sense to constantly build a temporary bridge, cross it once, demolish it, and then build a temporary bridge, cross it and demolish it. At some point you will build a permanent bridge because you're doing it constantly. When you're constantly touching those parts of your brains that light up when you complain, the synapses in your brain rewire themselves and they bridge directly to that because the brain assumes that you get some sort of pleasure through complaining, through being negative. So it rewires your brain and sets it in such a way that complaining becomes easy, that complaining becomes a habit, that it becomes addictive because it assumes that you get pleasure out of this. Look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the human mind. It is fascinating and I know some of you will probably not get around to reading this and that is why I'm taking a few minutes to share this with you. The scientists have a phrase for this therefore. They say, neurons that fire together, wire together. 
the neurons in your brain that fire together all the time, they wire together, they become solid. Not only that, they say complaining constantly shrinks your brain as well. It causes brain damage as well. Beyond that, not only does it change your behavior, it says that research has shown that the hippocampus part of your brain shrinks. This is an area of your brain that is critical to problem solving and to intelligent thought. So when you constantly complain in life, you lose the ability to do critical thinking because it shrinks that part of your brain that is responsible for that. What is even more frightening is that it destroys that part of your brain that is first destroyed through Alzheimer's. So people who get Alzheimer's, an illness in which they slowly begin to lose their memory, there is a part of the brain that is damaged and destroyed first. That same part is what is damaged through constant complaining when the brain shrinks. Over and beyond that as well, just like secondhand smoking will harm you, hanging around people who complain also harms your brain. And just like you would not sit in a room that is full of secondhand smoke all day and all night, being with people who are constantly negative and constantly complaining also affects your health and your mind. You can see why Allah has created a system where anything that is harmful for the soul connects to the body and harms the body as well. And therefore, if for no other reason, even if we are motivated to stop complaining and being negative for our health, for our brain, for our mind, that itself also helps us and guides us towards higher um, uh, spirituality. And then the article goes on that you can read about on how you know, it affects your blood pressure, your sugar levels, and causes other forms of harm and damage. But it goes on to talk about cholesterol and diabetes and heart disease and obesity. But the point that I want to share as part of this article that I thought was very interesting and related to the subject we're discussing is, when it now starts giving solutions, when the experts begin asking, how do you change that habit of constantly complaining and constantly being negative, they said the first and foremost thing you need to do is build and cultivate an attitude of being grateful, of rada, of being grateful, of being content with what you have in life. Take the time, this is what the article says, take the time to contemplate what you are grateful for will reduce your stress hormones, the stress hormone that is called cortisol, by 23%. And research conducted at the University of California found that people who make a habit every single day of taking the time to reflect what they have been blessed with in life and to be grateful for it and just have a sense of appreciation and gratitude have experienced improved moods and energy levels and have substantially reduced their cholesterol levels, their anxiety and their cortisol level that causes this unhappiness and stress in our life. Only reflecting, that's all. Now these are individuals who might be atheistic. These are individuals who might not even believe in God. These might be individuals who don't care about the hereafter or about spirituality. So they only sit and reflect about, you know, I have a beautiful wife or I have a good home or I have a good job or I have children or I have this or I have a good car. But look at what we have to be grateful for. We have so much else to be radi for. We can be grateful for 
not only the benefits of this world, but we can be grateful for the hereafter. We can be grateful for Iman. We can be grateful for our attachment and our love for Muhammad and Ali Muhammad alayhi salam. We can be grateful for Allah Muhammad We can be grateful for a lot more. And I will come back to this in a, in a minute, but I want to share that final hadith that I wanted to share with you on Rida. We have this beautiful hadith that is called Hadith Al-Qudsi. Hadith Al-Qudsi is essentially a hadith in which Allah speaks in the first person himself. In other words, it is not a part of the Quran. It is hadith from the Prophet or the Imams. But in the hadith, Allah speaks in the first person just the way he speaks to us in the Quran. And in this hadith Al-Qudsi, Allah talks to the Prophet Dawood and he says to him, Ya Dawood, Turid wa Urid. O Dawood, tell the people, you want and I want. Wala yakunu illa ma urid. In the end, nothing is going to happen except what I want. Fa in aslamta lima urid, kafaituka fi ma turid. If you surrender and submit to what I want, I will suffice for you in what you want. Wa in lam tu salim lima urid, atabtuka fi ma turid. But if you refuse to surrender to what I want, I will exhaust you and tire you in trying to get what you want and you will not get it. And in the end, nothing is going to happen except what I want. What a beautiful hadith. What a thought-provoking hadith. What is Allah saying to us? He is saying to us that there is free will in this world in which I have allowed you to work hard so that you can be proud on the day of judgment that if you went to Jannah, it is not because I just put you there as a perfect being, but you worked for it yourself. So I give you free will. But I have put certain things in place that are pre-decreed by me so that you succeed. I have decided that I will get you to Jannah. Therefore, you can struggle as hard as you want and fight and resist. In fact, there are hadiths to say there are people who Allah takes to Jannah like a man who is tied in chains and is dragged against his will and taken to a place. Every time we show dissatisfaction, we are resisting and fighting and refusing to go to Jannah. And Allah is not changing our circumstance despite our prayers and our struggle because He wants us to get to Jannah. But what He wants from us is that sense of surrender, that sense of being radi, that sense of taslim to say, I am pleased with whatever you have decreed for me, O Allah. I said earlier that we have a lot to be grateful for. We can be radi and pleased and grateful on a day-to-day -day basis for all the blessings that Allah has given us in the physical realm and in the material realm. We can be radi for the love and brotherhood that we have amongst ourselves. We can be radi, as I said, for having the love of Muhammad and Ali Muhammad in our lives and in our children's lives. That this is the greatest na'mah of Allah. That we have iman in our hearts, that we look forward to Jannah. But one of the greatest blessings that we can be grateful for as well are the tears that we shed for Hussein. Is there any na'mah 
that is greater than this that you should be radi for. I will put it to you this way. Supposing I ask and offer you to trade anything you want in life that is troubling you greatly at this point in your life in exchange for the tears for Hussein, will you give it up in exchange? What is the value of crying for Hussein to you? Are you sick? Is that what is bothering you? If I were to offer you, Allah takes away your sickness, but you will no longer be able to cry for Hussein, will you give that up for your sickness? If you are poor and I offer this to you, Allah will give you wealth, but in exchange you will never know the gham of Hussein. Will you give up the gham of Hussein for more wealth? Is there any ni'mah and any blessing greater than this? So every time we are dissatisfied, we only need to turn our hearts to Karbala and say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for what good did I do that you have blessed me with this great blessing? That Allah has not given me any gham greater than the gham of Muhammad and Ali Muhammad. That there are no beings closer to you than these and these are the beings that I see as my role models. These are the beings that I aspire to be close to in this world and the hereafter. These are the beings whose ziyarat I crave for in this world and whose shafa'a I crave for in the hereafter. Bas, I have come towards Masaib. In these days that we are passing as well, we are remembering the shahadat of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad. I wish to recite some words of his Masaib as well because his Masaib marks and denotes the start of the Masaib of the rest of the Ahlul Bayt It is not just the Ahlul Bayt who are Madhloom. Rasulullah himself was Madhloom and you can see that towards the end of his life. Historians have records of all events that happened in the last years of his life. You will see that there was an intent and a group that was seeking to remove the Prophet and to cause harm to him and in fear that after him his family will be appointed in his place. We have accounts that when the Prophet went for Tabuk and Amir al-Mu'mineen was not with him, there was an attempt to assassinate him. There was a pass on the mountain that was extremely narrow where the Prophet was on his camel. There was an attempt to push him off that camel down that uh, cliff on the mountain pass. And there is a whole history to that as well. There are attempts to have poisoned him as well. We are told that towards the end of his life, Rasulullah's illness began well before he passed away. It is not conceivable to say that the Prophet passed away suddenly and did not have time to appoint a successor. Even if we deny the events of Ghadir and other events, we know that the Muslims all knew the Prophet was passing away. One of the things Rasulullah did before he left is, he appointed a young man by the name of Osama to head out of Medina on an expedition towards foreign lands. Then he commanded all the Muslims and said, I command all the men to leave Medina and to go out and join the army of Osama in preparation for this expedition. He asked all the prominent members and Sahaba to go out with Osama. He said, the only person that does not go is Amir al-Mu'mineen to stay behind with me in Medina. The prominent amongst the Sahaba began to refuse to do that. Some on the pretext that they were concerned that the Prophet was ill. Some on the pretext that Osama was young. The Prophet then issued a statement which is also recorded by Muslims. He said, man an Usama. May Allah curse the one who stays back and does not join the army of Usama. The Muslims still did not go to the army of Usama. When Rasulullah realized that this is not going to happen on the Thursday before he passed away and the Muslims surrounded him in his house 
He said to them, now give me a paper and a pen. Let me write something for you. You will never go astray after me. I will write something for you. It will stay with you. The Muslims began to scream and shout. They began to say, Inna rajulun la yahjur. The man has lost his mind. Some of them began saying, Hasbuna kitab Allah. Ibn Abbas narrates and Ibn Abbas Bukhari mentions this from Ibn Abbas in five places that Ibn Abbas used to sit after the wafat of Rasulullah outside the mosque of Medina. He would cry and cry until the pebbles would be covered with his tears. And he would say, The greatest disaster to this ummah was the disaster of the Thursday night when Rasulullah kept begging for a paper and pen and the Muslims would not let him write. And the Quran kept saying, O you who have faith, لا ترفعوا أسواتكم فوق صوت النبي O you who claim to have faith, do not raise your voices above the voice of the Prophet. But the Muslims kept shouting until the Prophet said to them, قُومُ anni, All of you get out of my house and leave me now. The, everyone else left the house. Now Rasulullah is left alone on his bed. With him is Ali and Fatima and Hassan and Hussein. The Arbab of Azaseh, Imam Hassan and Imam Hussein were young children. They ran to their Jad Rasulullah. Hassan put his head on the chest of Rasulullah on one side. Hussein put his head on the chest on the other side. Rasulullah put his hands around his grandsons. Amir al-Mu'mineen tried to move the children back from Rasulullah. <laughs> Rasulullah said to him, Abal Hassan, da'ahum ashummuhuma wa yashummani. Abal Hassan, leave my Hassan and Hussein. Let me smell their fragrance for the last time. And let them smell my fragrance for the last time. This is the last time the Ahlul Kisa will be together. Bas Amir al-Mu'mineen sat at the head of Rasulullah. He placed the head of Rasulullah on his lap. Fatima sat besides Rasulullah. Suddenly there was a knock on the door. Fatima went to the door and said, Who is at the door? The person at the door said, Ana rajulun gharib. Fatima said, Rasulullah cannot see you right now. After a little while, the man knocked again and said, Ana rajulun gharib. But Fatima said, I can, You cannot see Rasulullah right now. She went back to Rasulullah and sat beside him. Suddenly Rasulullah opened his eyes. He saw Fatima is crying. The door knocked the third time. A voice called out, Rajulun Gharib Yasta'adinu an Rasulillah. I am a stranger. I have come. I need to speak to Rasulullah. Fatima said, Ya Abata, there is a person at the door. I keep telling him you are not able to see him, but he keeps knocking on the door and saying, Ana Rajulun Gharib. Bas Rasulullah said, Oh Fatima. This is not an ordinary man. Oh Fatima, this is Malakul Maut. Oh Fatima, this is the sheriff of your house. This is the only time that Malakul Maut asks permission before he enters. This is he that does not need permission to enter in any home. I would say, Ya Rasulullah, come to the house of Fatima a few days later. This very same house that Malakul Maut will not enter without permission. The Muslims will set it on fire. Ajrukum Allah. Bas Fatima says, we sensed something come into the house. It felt like a breeze that came into the house and said, Assalamu alaikum ya ahla baytin nabi. Oh Malakul Maud, you do salam to the Ahlul Bayt. In a few days from now, there will be no one to even reply the salam of Amir al-Mu'mineen. 
ملک الموت stands before رسول اللہ یا رسول اللہ اللہ gives you the option to live in this world or to return to him رسول اللہ's last words بل الہ رفیق الاعلی no I choose to return to my highest friend he takes a last breath امیر المؤمنین takes the last breath of رسول اللہ and wipes it on his face and announces آدم اللہ اجورکم بنبیکم او اہل البیت رسول اللہ has now left us بس from this day onwards the Ahlul Bayt saw nothing but Musibah Rasulullah's body stayed for three days there were no people to wash him and bury him except for five or six after him when Fatima passed she was buried in the night and no one knows where her grave is Amir al-Mu'mineen was also buried in the night Hassan salam wanted to be buried beside the Prophet arrows were shot on his grave Hussain salam there was no kafan and no husl the Muslims trampled the body of Hussain but every time there was a musibah the Ahlul Bayt turned to Rasulullah when Fatima's musibah was unbearable she would come to the cover of her father Rasulullah and say Ya Abad سبت علی مسائب لو سبت علی الایام سرن لیالیا بابا سچ افلکشن جب بھی فالن می ناو if they would fall on a bright day it would turn into a dark night after Fatima Amir al-Mu'mineen would cry at the grave of Rasulullah Hassan alayhi salam would come to the grave of the Prophet his last wasiyah to be buried beside the Prophet was not answered Aba Abdullah al-Husayn when he had to leave Medina one of his greatest musibah was to leave the qabr of Rasulullah he came to Rasulullah and said Ya Jadda why don't you pray to Allah to take me before I leave Medina Rasulullah said to Hussain Oh Hussain Inna laka darajatan fil jannah la tanalu illa bishahada Oh Hussain Allah wants to see you shaheed Go Hussain I am with you in spirit but these are the days of Aza coming to an end when the Ahlul Bayt were released from the prisons of Kufa and Sham Zainab went back from Karbala to Sham first she came to the cover of Rasulullah she cried at the grave of Rasulullah she cried to Rasulullah in the words of Miranese she said Hussain bhai ko hum karbala mein chhor aaye Ali ke lal ko dashte bala mein chhor aaye yatim Fatima ko nai nawa mein chhor aaye tumhare chand ko khake shifa mein chhor aaye then Zainab took out a shirt from her abba the shirt was torn and covered in blood she placed it on the cover of Rasulullah the cover of Rasulullah became to tremble oh Zainab move the shirt of Hussein I cannot bear it I would say oh Rasulullah say Shabash to Zainab she carried the shirt of Hussein from Sham to Karbala and Karbala to Medina when Zainab had cried at the cover of Rasulullah Zainab went to the cover of her mother Fatima Amma I have come back without Hussein I do not know what Zainab said at the cover of her mother but again the Arbab of Azaz say a voice came from the cover of Fatima calling out to Zainab Oh Zainab 
زینب تیرا یوسف میرا شبیر کہاں ہے زینب میرے بچوں کو کہاں چھوڑ کے آئی اور زینب میرے پردیسی سے کی تو نے جدائی زینب میرے مظلوم کو یسرب میں نہ لائی زینب تو لٹا آئی غریبوں کی کمائی نکلی تھی تو سب کمبے کو اولاد کو لے کر آئی ہے فقط عابدِ ناشاد کو لے کر علی لعنت اللہ علی القوم الظالمین وسیعلم الذین موسیقی Allah, we ask you to bless this home with barakah. We ask you for the maghfirah of our sins. We ask you for the shifa of those who are ill. We ask you for the maghfirah of those who have passed away. We ask you to hasten the appearance of our Imam. Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta al-sami'u al-alim. Ma'atami Hussain.